Uh, today, we are going to begin studying themes from the book of Romans. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit about kind of the background of this and why some of the, we've chosen some of the titles that we have. Um, we've titled the entire series, Not Ashamed of the Gospel. And the reason that we've done that is because Paul tells us in the opening verses of his letter that I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness from God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And Paul says, I'm going to tell you about the gospel message, and I'm not ashamed of it. And as he writes this letter to the Romans, the, the, the theme that comes out throughout the letter is that we are free in Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the gospel, that we are free in Jesus Christ. He tells us that we are free from the penalty of sin. We will never face judgment for our sin if we are in Jesus Christ. But he also tells us we're free from the power of sin, that right now in our life today, we can experience God's power to live in victory. And then he tells us we are free from the bondage to the law, that in Jesus Christ we have been liberated to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to have the burden of the law pressing down on us all the time. And then finally he says, we are free from the fear of death and mortality because Jesus Christ has given us uh, eternal life and liberty and, and has released us from the fear of dying and, and spending eternity apart from God. And so this whole book of Romans is concerned with the gospel message that truly liberates us and sets us free. Secondly, um, I've titled, I've broken it into volumes, and I've titled the first volume, Where Would I Be Without Jesus? Because as soon as Paul introduces us to this letter, the first thing he does is explain why we need the gospel. You know, it's impossible to win someone to faith in Christ if they don't know they need Christ. Why would you respond to the gospel message if you didn't need it? Why would you need to be saved if you didn't know you were lost? And so Paul spends the opening chapters of this letter explaining why all people who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ are lost in their sins and are destined for an eternity in hell apart from God. Where would I be without Jesus? I would be hopelessly lost. He explains in those early chapters that people without any religion who have never heard of Jesus are lost. He explains that people who have all kinds of religion and other all kinds of gods are lost. He explains that people who are very religious in a, in a very moral way 
are also lost. Because by works of law and other means of access to God, no one will ever come to have eternal life. Now, when we preach a message like that, we are immediately accused of being bigoted, narrow-minded, heartless, cold, and indifferent, as if we ourselves were trying to be some religious isolationist that no one else can get to heaven unless they become a Christian. But I'm going to be spending the month of July preaching through Paul's ex explanation of the lostness of mankind and explaining it's not about religion, it's not about my opinion, it's not about Islam or Buddhism or Judaism, or Christianity, or anything like that. It's about God. There's only one God. And that God has revealed himself in the Bible, and in Jesus Christ. And he is the one who sets the standards. And when we understand why people are lost, then we will understand why they need a Savior, and why the only Savior that God has provided is his Son, Jesus Christ. It's going to be a series in July that you can invite your friends, neighbors, family members, colleagues at work to come to. Uh, don't worry about them getting angry or feisty or upset. Let me deal with that. <laughs> bring them and they can fight with me. But I'm not planning to bring railing sermons about hellfire and damnation. I'm planning to present clearly the love of God in telling us the truth that we need a Savior, and here's why. And I'm not going to be bringing railing uh, condemnation on any particular sins, but explaining that every human being is under the curse, and God in His love has reached down to us in Jesus Christ to give us a way out and a way back to him. And so I hope that it's a, a sequence that you will be uh, feel free to invite people to who do not know Christ. Because if, for, if nothing else comes of it, they'll at least know why the Bible teaches what it does. And they'll understand that message. Where would I be without Jesus? Well, this morning we want to look particularly at Paul's introduction to his own letter. It's found in the first 15 verses of Romans chapter 1, if you turned there. We're going to be looking at four things this morning. Paul the Apostle, who he says he is, the church in Rome. Paul's goal and purpose in writing this letter. And the time and the occasion for its writing. And we want to begin by looking at the claims that Paul makes for himself. It's very interesting. Look with me in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power, by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, 
through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all Gentiles for his name's sake. As Paul begins his letter, he introduces himself to the church at Rome by telling us some things about himself. And first of all, he gives us his credentials. And I want you to think about what he says here. What is the first thing that Paul says about himself in Romans? He says, I'm a bondservant. I'm a bondservant. You know, he doesn't present his credentials as an apostle or as an educated Pharisee or someone with lots of degrees or multiple languages or great influence. He starts out by saying, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. In the scripture, in the Old Testament in particular, but also even in their time, there were slaves. For some reason or another, Somewhere in the world, people have always enslaved other people. It just seems to be human nature. If you're stronger and bigger, that you can enslave someone who is weaker as a, as a group. And so slavery has been with the human race almost from the beginning. And for most people, slavery is not a good thing. They're abused. They're inadequately cared for. They're treated with disrespect, almost as if they're not human at all. Many of the slaves in the history of our own country were treated like animals and never given the dignity of human beings. And so slavery has an awful connotation. But you know, it's interesting that sometimes an amazing match occurs between a servant and a master to where the master loves and cares for his slave, provides well for him, gives him everything he needs. Maybe there's a whole family. He provides for the family, doesn't break them up, takes care of them, makes sure they have adequate food, good shelter, adequate clothing, meaningful work. They're not abused. And they're loved, and they're, and they're just cared for. And the slave, in turn, says, you know what? I've got it better with this master than I could ever have on my own. I've got a better deal going here than, than I could have out trying to make a living for myself. I have everything I need provided by this master, and I enjoy being here. And in the Jewish custom, every seven years or so, they were required to release their servants their slaves, to let them go. Because many times a person got into that position by going bankrupt and falling on hard times and needing to kind of sell themselves into a, a, an indentured relationship. But every seven years they were to be freed. But if one of those kind of matches had occurred where the master and the servant enjoyed each other and, and were committed to each other, you could become a bond slave or a love slave. And what that meant was that you would commit to your master, I, I appreciate being under you, and I want to be with you the rest of my life. And the master would say, well, I appreciate the work you do, and I will care for you the rest of your life, and I will gladly receive you. And that servant would have his ear pierced with an awl, and there would be a special ring attached, and he would become a bond slave to a master 
whom he willingly followed. And Paul says, that's what I am. I have found a master who is worthy of all of my devotion. I have found a master who meets all my needs. I have found a master who gives my life meaning and purpose. And I am more than willing to spend the rest of my life serving him. I am a bondservant, a bondslave of Jesus Christ. And you know, friends, that's something that should be true of every one of us. Every one of us should be that bondslave of Jesus Christ. That's Paul's first way of identifying his character and who he is. Secondly, he says, I'm an apostle by divine calling. As a bondslave, God laid claim on his life to be an apostle. An apostle was a church planter, someone who carried the message where it had never been heard and who proclaimed Jesus Christ in new territory and established churches. And that's exactly what Paul had done all over the eastern part of the Roman Empire was to plant and establish churches. And he says, my purpose, notice what he says, set apart for the gospel of God, my purpose is to proclaim the gospel. Now I want to remind you here, and we'll probably say this many times, but the basic meaning of gospel is good news. The gospel means good news. Evangelion literally means good news. And the gospel is good news from God. The good news is that God has made a way to forgive sin and to bring us back into relationship with him and it won't cost you anything. Jesus Christ has paid the price. Now, it's not that it's not without commitment, but it's without price because Jesus Christ has paid the price. And Paul said, That's, that is my commitment, is to proclaim the gospel. Notice in verse 2 what his message is. This gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice that Paul's message about the gospel centers in a person. And the message of, of the gospel is always focused on a person. The good news is Jesus. Remember when the angels came to those shepherds on the hillside and they said to the shepherds as the, as the angelic trumpets blasted and, and the angelic host appeared and the heavenly multitude began singing glory and praise to God, they said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all the people, because unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This message will be for everyone. It is God's good news. And it's always focused in the person of Jesus Christ. And notice that Paul, right at the outset, makes clear who Jesus is. He minces no words. He says, first of all, I didn't make this message up out of thin air. 
This message is the one that has been fully proclaimed in the Old Testament. In the scriptures and the prophets, this message of the gospel has been prepared and has been declared, and all I'm bringing to you is the fulfillment of the prophecies of old in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is both fully man and fully God. He said, I want you to understand that this Jesus is the one of Nazareth who was born after the flesh from the seed of David by the Virgin Mary. He is fully human. He's not a ghost. He's not a spirit only. He's not a figment of my imagination. He is a person, a human being, who was born of the Virgin Mary through the seed of David. But he said he was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection. And for Paul, the resurrection is proof positive that Jesus was who he claimed to be, God in human flesh. Only God could come out of the grave alive forevermore. Only God could defeat sin on the cross and come back from the grave, from death. Only the resurrection could demonstrate irrefutably that Jesus Christ was not only fully man, but was fully divine and fully God. Paul is telling us at the very beginning of his letter, Jesus Christ is both God and man in one, the God-man, Christ Jesus, who has redeemed us. And declares at the outset his humanity and his deity. And finally he says, I am committed through that, because I've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles for his name's sake. Paul was uniquely commissioned by God to go to the Gentiles. That doesn't mean he didn't preach to Jews. He did. He preached to Jews in every town he went to. But ultimately he carried his message to the Gentiles. And the message was to bring about the obedience of faith. Now it's important for Paul as he starts this letter, to talk to us about obedience. This exact phrase, obedience of faith, is used in chapter 16 at the end of the letter. It's like he brackets his whole book of Romans with this phrase, the obedience of faith. And I think one of the things Paul is trying to do here is to set us straight up front that faith goes hand in hand with obedience that faith gives rise to obedience, and that obedience always follows faith. Because he's going to tell us, not too far into this book, that we have been free, freed from the law. And you know when people hear that at first blush, they think, oh, I, don't have to, I don't have to worry about anything right anymore. I can do whatever I please. I can live however I want to live. Because I'm free from the law. And we are free from the law. And we're going to talk about that in depth when we get there. But Paul wants us to know that even though we have been freed from the law, to be saved by grace through faith, that faith always produces obedience in the heart. How do you know you have faith if not obedience? Do you remember Abraham? Back in Ur of the Chaldees, the Bible says that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. 
You remember what happened? God came to Abraham. I don't know how God came. We're not told. We're just said that Abraham sort of knew it was God. And God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldees. I want you to leave your, your father's house and your family. I want you to take your wife and I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you. I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to give you a child. I'm going to give you an inheritance. I'm going to make a great people of you. And through you, all the people of the world will be blessed. And Abraham said, God, I believe you. I believe you. Now, how was that demonstrated? Abraham just sat back in his recliner, kicked his feet up, Ur of the Chaldees. You know what? I'm not budging until I have some evidence. When I have a son, maybe I'll, maybe I'll think about moving. When I figure out what this land is, maybe I'll think about going. No, Abraham demonstrated his belief in God by packing up and leaving everything he knew to follow the God who had spoken to him. His faith was saving faith, and Paul refers back to it as a demonstration of a man who was saved apart from works of law, but his faith still resulted in obedience. If you believe God, you follow him. If you don't follow him, you don't really believe him. And today we have watered down the gospel in many respects to the point that we give people the impression that they can just take out a fire insurance policy with God and escape hell. But don't bother me until that moment comes. I'll, I'll, I'll redeem my policy as I'm making my exit, but just leave me alone in the meanwhile. And there's nothing in the scripture that suggests that that's true. The Bible says that faith gives rise to obedience. And obedience flows from faith. They're part and parcel of the same thing that happens in our hearts, that God enables us to follow him and to trust him. Jesus did not call us to be saved from hell. Did you know that? He had more to say about hell than any other person in the Bible, but he did not call us to be saved from hell. He called us to follow him. And in following him, we are saved from hell. Because in following Jesus is the demonstration that we believe him and that we trust him. So Paul says, this is who I am. This is my message, and this is my mission. Now what about the church that he's writing to? What about Rome? First of all, if you remember your geography, you know that Rome is the furthest outpost church from Jerusalem. If you can imagine a map up here, and over here is the Holy Land, and here's the North Mediterranean, and here's the boot of Italy, and over here is Jerusalem, and you go north up the coast to Antioch of Tarsus, and then you go around under Asia Minor and Greece, and you come over here down the boot of Italy, and over here is Rome. Rome was the furthest church from the mother church. That had its own implications. It was amusing the first time I went to California to counsel. 
California is not western Pennsylvania. If those of you that are familiar with culture in America and the United States <laughs> have put that together, let me tell you, Christian and Missionary Alliance churches in western PA don't look anything like Christian and Missionary Alliance churches in Los Angeles. They are worlds apart. They don't even know what ties are in Los Angeles, much less a suit. And they had music out there that absolutely made the people on the East Coast, you know, stand up uh, and be frustrated. And in fact, it was in California that I, for the first time, saw delegates leave the floor of council during a song service because he couldn't stand the music. That was about 10 years ago. Things have changed. This whole council, we had electrics and drums and singers. Sorry for those of you that don't like that, but that's the way it was. It was, it was great. <laughs> it was a good time. But uh, I can remember a time when it was so different because when you're a long way from the mother church, you just do things differently. And Rome had that kind of thing going for it. The other thing is that the demographics that made up the Roman church were different from other churches. First of all, the church in Rome was not started by any one person. Now I know that there's some groups that think Peter started it, but Peter hadn't even been there when that church got started. Peter had nothing to do with starting the church at Rome. Neither did Paul. In fact, to the best we can figure out, no apostle had anything to do with the church at Rome. Well, how did it get started? We well, remember when we were studying the book of Acts, and there was a time when Claudius, the emperor, threw all the Jews out of Rome. He expelled them. And they went throughout the rest of the empire. They went to Asia. They went to Greece. They went uh, all over the place looking for new places to live. They were business people. Jews have been business people wherever they've lived. And they were business people. And they looked for new towns to set up their businesses. And so we found Jewish followers all over the empire. They were headed east at the same time Paul was headed west with the gospel. And many of them got converted. Aquila and Priscilla, Paulus, people like that got converted as they came under the preaching of the gospel in the synagogues in affiliation with Paul's ministry. And in Jerusalem. And so what happened was, as the order of expulsion kind of loosened up a little bit, toward the mid-50s, they kind of started migrating back to Rome. And some of these Jewish converts to Christ carried the message back to Rome, as well as Gentiles. And so what happened was, in Rome, little congregations began to spring up in house churches by people who had heard about Jesus in other parts of the empire. And they formed kind of a, 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 a potpourri, for lack of a better word, <laughs> They formed kind of a potpourri of faith of followers of Jesus that had been evangelized in all kinds of different places. This provided a very unique opportunity for Paul. Because 
There were Jews there, and there were Gentiles. There were educated people, and there were business people. And it was an audience that was sufficiently mixed that he could write this letter to them in hopes that this audience would be most receptive to the truths of the gospel that he wanted to proclaim. Well, what was his goal and purpose? Look with me in verses 11 to 15. For I long to see you, in order that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. And I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you, and have been prevented thus far, in order that I might obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, <clears throat> both to the wise and to the foolish. Thus, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Look at what Paul says his desire is. You know, we have somehow gotten a strange notion that God appoints some people to be sort of the heads of the church, and they, and they do the ministry. And everybody else is just kind of like, you're saved and you're just sort of there. But Paul knew better. And that's not what the Bible teaches, by the way. We are all in this together. We are all bondservants of Jesus Christ, and we are all ministers to one another. Paul was the one who tells us in Romans 12, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think so as to have sound judgment according to the measure of the gift that Christ has given to you so that you can minister to one another. Paul knew that he was called to be an apostle. He knew that he was able to encourage and exhort and build people up in the faith. He knew that he was capable of imparting spiritual gifts. And so Paul said, I want to come to Rome, and I want to bless you. I want to be an encouragement to you. I want to provide uh, support for your faith. I want to impart spiritual gifts to you. I want to be there with you and invest myself in you. But he said, at the same token, I want to receive from you ministry. Now, usually when a preacher says that, what he means is, I want to come preach a sermon, and I want you to give me money. Okay, but that's not what Paul had in mind. Paul was planning to spend some time in Rome. And he says, I want you to encourage me. I want you to get to know me. I want your gifts to bless me. This is to be a two-way street. Because one of the things Paul wanted to do was establish a base of operations in order to move to Spain. Can you imagine if Paul tried to expand the gospel into Spain and his mother church was still in Antioch of Tarsus? all the way across the northern Mediterranean to the other end of the sea? That would have been almost impossible. Paul said, I want to come to Rome and get to know you. I want to share my gifts. I want you to share yours. I want us to, to encourage each other. I want us to get to know each other so that when I go west, I know that you, the Roman church, love me and pray for me and are with me and that you're sharing this, this ministry of outreach with me. I want us to be encouraged by one another. 
He says, secondly, I want to preach the gospel to the people in Rome. Thus, for my part, verse 15, I'm eager to preach the gospel to everyone who's in Rome. I want to give you the good news. And the good news that Paul wanted to give them was the full and whole gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, when did he write this? Probably he wrote this letter from Corinth. Now, I have the wrong um, reference in your printed outline. I have Acts chapter 18, and that's incorrect. That was Paul's second missionary journey. But in Paul's third missionary journey, Acts chapter 20, verses 2 to 5, Paul stops back in, in Greece and spends some time in Corinth. And it's there that he most likely writes the letter to Romans. Why there? Well, Paul had already started collect the collection to take to Jerusalem. Remember that from our study in Acts? He took up an offering to take to Jerusalem because they had been uh, stricken with famine. And he wanted to help them out. But he had not been to Jerusalem and been arrested yet. He was on the way. And probably it was in Corinth in A.D. 58 that he wrote the letter to Romans because he spent about three months in Greece and this would have been the perfect timing for it. He was planning to take the offering to Jerusalem and go to Rome. That was under his own power. That was his goal. The second thing is that Paul wrote this letter at a time when he had just come out of the heated argument with the Judaizers over the Galatian problem. And if you read Paul's letter to Galatians, that is a hard-hitting argument. Nowhere does Paul use stronger language than he uses in his letter to the Galatians. He says things like, Who has bewitched you? Who, who has cast a spell on you? Having begun in the Spirit, are you planning to go on in the flesh? He says, Those who have brought to you a different gospel... It's not good news at all. Let them be mutilated and, and, and cursed and stricken from the earth, in essence. I mean, Paul does not mince words in his Galatian letter. He is hard and firm because he is contending for the gospel of grace as opposed to the, 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 the bondage of law-keeping. And he wants to make clear that in Jesus Christ, Salvation is by faith and grace alone. And, and life in the Spirit is the way to spiritual victory, not law-keeping. But that's behind him now. And he has a chance to sit down and think about how to present the gospel logically and clearly all the way through. Here's the message of the gospel. Here is freedom in Christ. We're lost and we need a Savior. God gave us a Savior. In Jesus, we're justified by faith. We're sanctified by faith, made holy through His power. We are freed from the law that we can live in the Spirit and experience the fullness of Jesus Christ. He takes us through the Gospel very orderly. All of its significance in every realm of our spiritual walk. And yet, he has a chance to do this logically and clearly.
He wrote Romans before he wrote Ephesians and Colossians. It's interesting that he talks to us in Romans 7 and 8 about life in the Spirit. But in Ephesians and Colossians, he expands that teaching. So Galatians is the hard-hitting, free-from-the-law, saved-by-grace. Ephesians, Colossians, life in the Spirit. But Romans, here's the whole plan. Here's the panoramic of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ. The focus in the book of Romans is on the gospel. You know, and we're going to go over that. I I debated whether to use the word full gospel because that conjures up in people's minds sometimes some strange things. Um, They think about Pentecostalism or they think about uh, some strange meetings. I'm not particularly saying yay or nay on that. I'm just saying that when I use the word full gospel, I'm not talking about some experience. I'm talking about the full impact of the whole message. Listen, friends, most people never get the full gospel. They only catch a piece of it. Many people never get beyond justification by faith. In fact, some people think that's what the book of Romans is all about. But really, that's only chapters 3, 4, and 5. Justification by faith is the beginning point. That we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ from the penalty of sins that we have committed. Many Christians never go beyond that. That's all they know. Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I'm saved. But friends, he also died on the cross to free us from the power of sin so that we would not live under bondage to sin right now. That the old nature does not have to control us, but that we can live in the power of the Holy Spirit now and experience freedom from the bondage of sin. God has freed us from that. That is part of the gospel. That we are free from the penalty and free from the power. And many Christians hear that message, but they don't get the rest of it. Most Christians spend their whole life living under a burdensome pressure that I have to somehow make sure I please God today and make Him happy by keeping all the rules. And they don't know that they've been freed from the law. And freedom from the law means unmistakably that my relationship with God is not based on me trying to keep the rules. But it is based on His Spirit living in me and me walking with Him moment by moment in fellowship as he leads and guides my life apart from the works of law. That's a part of the gospel message, that we are free in Jesus Christ. And finally, many people do not ever experience true liberty in life 
because they have been freed from the fear of death. But Paul teaches us in Romans that if we have understood our victory in Christ, if we have understood the love of God, if we have understood what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if we have understood what it means to have Jesus Christ living in us and for us, if we are living in intimate fellowship with Him, then we don't need to be afraid of life or of death. If you're afraid of death, you're afraid of life. Did you know that? If you're afraid to die... I'm not saying if you want to die, that's a different subject. <laughs> it reminds me of one time my mother said she was in Sunday school and somebody said, how many of you here want to go to heaven? And one person didn't raise their hand. And she, the teacher said, so-and-so, don't you want to go to heaven? And he said, yeah, I do, but I thought you are getting up a group right now. <laughs> I don't want to go right now. I'm not talking about wanting to die. I'm talking about being afraid to die. Afraid of death. You cannot live until you're not afraid of death. When you know that you have a home in heaven, when you know Jesus Christ, when you know that you have eternal life, when you know that you are resting soundly in Him, and that He loves you, and that He has you uh, securely held in His hands, then you can live with abandon. Because you're not afraid of the risk of really living. I'm not talking about being foolish, but I'm talking about anywhere with Jesus. I can safely go anywhere He leads me in this world below. Because I have my future firmly established and Paul says in that great chapter 8 of Romans, What can separate me from the love of God? Who can bring any charge against me? Who can accuse me? Point out the man. God has already accepted me in Jesus Christ. And if He gave His, His only Son for me, how will He not also with Him freely give me everything else I need? Who can separate me from His love? He says, can angels or death can things present or things to come? He says, I'm convinced that no other created thing can separate me from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ my Lord. I am fully safe and secure in Him. All the way through, He leads us in freedom. Freedom in Jesus Christ. Friends, this is the Gospel. He says, I want to preach it to Rome. And friends, I want to preach it to you. I want us to go through this book with, it, with anticipation, with enthusiasm, with commitment. By the way, Pastor Ector is going to be preaching these sermons along with me and these, the outline. He's going to be working that together with me to preach this message for the whole congregation that we are free in Jesus Christ through the gospel message. And I hope that you're getting as pumped as I am about what God has for us as we study the book of Romans together. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Father, we come to you this morning in Jesus' name. We thank you for your word to us. We thank you for your love for us. And we thank you for inspiring the Apostle Paul to write us a letter 
intended for Rome, but made for the whole church to explain the gospel clearly in no uncertain terms, no confusion, all that it means to have freedom and life in Jesus Christ. And we thank and praise you for it in his precious name. Amen.